In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The AJC's Community Conversation Series continues Monday with the Race for City Hall. Our journalists press the top five candidates for Mayor of Atlanta for their positions on crime, affordable housing, and Buckhead cityhood. RSVP now at AJC.com conversation and join us live on AJC.com, Facebook, and YouTube. Monday from 5 to 6.30 for the Race for City Hall and AJC Community Conversation. The government stays open. It's just a remarkable thing to think of all the things that we can do working together. But Democrats still can't hammer out an infrastructure deal. They have to pass this thing. We cannot build back better if we can't do the right thing. We dig deep to find out how the candidates for mayor plan to fix Atlanta. Keep the city of Atlanta safe. I'm telling you to say hi, Felicia, because this Felicia can't be bought. And how much did Trump's visit really matter? We never forget 2020, just in case you have any questions. This is Politically Georgia. Hello, I'm the AJC's political insider, Greg Bluestein. Every week, we break down the latest shenanigans in Congress and under the gold dome. This week, I'm joined by... Look at all of those fake news wow. Okay, that one did surprise me. <laughs> uh, my AJC political insider colleague, Patricia Murphy, our columnist, and City Hall reporters, Wilbur Nobles and J.D. Capilouto. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Good morning. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so big crowd today, and we've got a lot to talk about. We were there at the start of the week as Georgia's highest ranking Democrats, that's Senators John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, and Representative Nakima Williams, all came to Atlanta to lay on the hard sell for President Biden's signature policy legislation, a $3.5 trillion package to expand the social safety network. The work that we're doing in Congress right now to advance meaningful investments in affordable housing will have a real impact on the daily lives of so many Georgians. This will keep families and communities in our state strong. Housing is stability. Housing is dignity. Housing is absolutely necessary, critical infrastructure. And we also heard from Congressman Nakima Williams, who succeeded John Lewis to represent Atlanta in Washington. We're going to get it done, y'all, because there are too many Georgia families that are counting on us to get it done. Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms was hosting Housing and Urban Development Secretary Marsha Fudge. They both gave the hard sell for the package. You see the revitalization of the West Side and the way it is building back better makes me so incredibly proud. We've lost a generation of young people who have lost years of education because they could not learn from their homes. 
The Build Back Better agenda is going to change that. It is going to be a defining moment in our lives. The defining moment in our lives, Patricia. I mean, Democrats have put everything they have behind this policy. Its fate is still uncertain as we're recording this. You never bet, bet against Speaker Nancy Pelosi, but um, this is going to be a major 2022 issue, whether or not it passes. If it doesn't, Republicans can say that Democrats fell flat, even when they controlled all branches of Congress. And if it does, they'll say that Democrats just passed a trillion dollar plus package that will expand the national debt and lay on more spending. Yeah. At the moment, Democrats right now are their own worst enemies on passing this gigantic piece of legislation that the Biden White House is spending tons of political capital, sending their secretaries out around the country, sending members of Congress out around the country to talk up these proposals, but they don't yet have the Democratic votes to pass these bills. And uh, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with them. It is a just a huge risk that they've taken, I think, to package these measures together. Um, they add up to about a $4.7 trillion package. There's so much in there, it's hard for people to keep track of what all is in there. But they are just trying to shove this across the finish line any way they can. But right now, it's Democrats need to get the Democrats on board, and then they can sell the rest of it to the country. Yeah, there's so many moving parts. And the final price tag, as you, as you mentioned right now, it's looking like 4.7-ish trillion-ish. But with Joe Manchin, the West Virginia Democrat, saying he won't support a plan that's more than 1.5 trillion, and you've got progressives that say they will only vote for something if it is 3.5 trillion. You know, we have a microcosm of that in Georgia, Patricia, with um, Carolyn Bordeaux, being part of the block of centrist Democrats, not many centrist Democrats, but centrist Democrats in the House who are kind of trying to put, push the pause button on the spending, whereas most of Georgia's remaining Democratic delegation, including Nakima, who you heard from, is all in for the $3.5 trillion. They want a much more expansive proposal. Yeah, uh, Carolyn Bordeaux, I think, has taken probably the biggest risk of any Georgia member so far. She really stuck her neck out several weeks ago and said to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, along with, as you said, a small group of centrist Democrats in the House, we don't want to move forward on this larger package without a guarantee that we'll get a vote on the infrastructure bill. That infrastructure bill is roads, bridges, all the traditional things you think about and it's passed the Senate. So Bordeaux said, I'm not doing the bigger one until I know there's going to be a vote on the smaller one. Yes, everyone agrees. Um, and then that vote has not happened yet. It's about a week delayed. And we don't know exactly what Bordeaux got in exchange for her support of the larger bill. And Wilborn, you know, a lot of Georgia Democrats are putting a lot on the line. They're putting their political capital behind this. And none maybe more significant than Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, who is one of Joe Biden's earliest supporters uh, in the state and in the South, really, and has continued to be one of the biggest cheerleaders for this package. And you heard what she said a few minutes ago. I mean, she she's still, even though she's not running for re-election, she, her, her political fate, her future, and the rest of her administration is really tied up with Joe Biden's agenda. Absolutely, Greg. And, you know, just listening to all these different Democrats speaking about the importance of this infrastructure deal, I mean, it, it just it affects so many uh, aspects of the public services available in Georgia, right? Uh, you see it all the time. If you uh, browse through her social media, uh, she spends a lot of time just responding to folks telling them, hey, you know, we're, we're dealing with a, a gap of services. We don't have a lot of 
folks who can respond to all these emergencies. She's always responding to folks complaining about potholes. So yeah, uh, the idea, right, is that these dollars, these federal dollars can help fund more workers to get on the streets to uh, literally fix our potholes. And part of that infrastructure issue is, uh, you know, housing, right? Uh, Senator Mm -hmm. Warnock, he said housing is absolutely necessary. He called it critical infrastructure. And we know that landlords in like five core counties have filed for like nearly 11,000 evictions. That's more than the same period last year, but still fewer than 2019, according to our uh, reports this week. And we are about a month away for that race to succeed, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. And J.D. and Patricia, you were at a press conference just a few days ago uh, for the forces that want to create a new Buckhead City. This is one of the dominant themes of the race. It wraps in crime, it wraps in race, it wraps in economics, it wraps in all sorts of different issues that are that are really shaping the, the race for city hall. J.D., talk about where that Buckhead City Coalition uh, movement stands right now. Right. They're, they're really trying to push ahead and have some momentum going into this upcoming uh, November special session of the General Assembly. And the big announcement that they had at this press conference this week was that they fully intend to have hearings on the bill that would create a referendum, a ballot referendum for Buckhead City. And so they said that they got the okay from the chair of the local government uh, operations committee in the state Senate uh, to hold these hearings on this issue. So they're very excited about that and plan to you know, discuss kind of the, the nuts and bolts of what Buckhead Cityhood would look like in front of this committee, which would be a crucial step for it moving forward under the Gold Dome. And they hope to also have house hearings as well. Buckhead is alive. But behind the scenes, there is much going on in Buckhead that is not good for us. Our taxes continue to go up while our city services go down. Violent crime is through the roof here in Buckhead. That was Bill White, who leads the Buckhead City Committee. Now, Patricia, I'm a paranoid veteran legislative reporter. I've heard a lot of talk where uh, lawmakers say, hey, this will never happen during the special session. Don't worry about it. And then it happens. And so <laughs> I don't think that, that Buckhead City would come up for a vote during this three-week special session, but it's also a three-week special session uh, that is totally devoted to redistricting. And there's a lot of lawmakers who have some idle time on their hands. And that's where that's where folks get paranoid. And when I asked the governor's office about whether or not his proclamation ruled out a Buckhead City uh, vote, they said, no, it's kind of written kind of vaguely to allow some local legislation. So again, I don't think it will happen. Um, this special session, but I do think it will certainly come up in some form or fashion um, for debate next year's General Assembly session. And what strikes me, Patricia, is that how many state elected officials are getting involved in this? I mean, usually cityhood movements are local, 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 but in this case, no lawmakers who represent Buckhead or the city of Atlanta, for that matter, um, support this push, but a bunch of Republicans do. We heard Senate candidate Gary Black endorse it. Um, Burt Jones, who's running for lieutenant governor, endorses it. Matt Brass, Brandon Beach, the governor's floor leaders. And when I asked the governor himself, he was like, well, I understand why people think it's a good idea. He's not quite endorsing it yet, but he's certainly not closing the door on it. No, that's exactly right. Not only does this effort not have the support of Buckhead's own legislators and lawmakers or Atlanta's lawmakers, it's going over the vocal opposition of those uh, senators and House members. And I spoke uh, with Jen Jordan and uh, Sonia Halpern, who both represent Buckhead uh, this week, and they both said, we are not even, it's not they're not even remotely neutral. They are actively opposed to it. And they said they are 
working on getting their message together. I've been really struck at how organized and how sophisticated this Buckhead movement has been. They have some really um, aggressive lobbyists, a very aggressive PR effort. They have hand-delivered 2,000 signs already to yards around Buckhead. So they are really pushing this momentum. And when we think about things that we don't think will happen in a special session, um, you got to put Buckhead in the maybe category just because they've been so sophisticated at dropping these things at the last minute when it's very hard to slow them down. Um, And so uh, the the Buckhead legislators and lawmakers, I think, are trying to get their act together at this point to have a more united vocal opposition. But so far, it's those lawmakers from outside of Buckhead really pushing it. And their message is, look, we're, we're, we're not telling Buckhead what to do, but just give people the right to choose for themselves. And so um, in the absence of a, of a coordinated argument against that, and with an opportunity to really stick it to Atlanta, you could see Republican lawmakers going along with this um, in a way that was hard to imagine a year ago. And look, not so long ago, I remember religious liberty. I remember legislative leaders saying, religious liberty will never come up for a vote. I remember legislative leaders saying, uh, you know, snub the Delta, uh, taking away Delta's tax break will never come up for a vote. And hey, these things can sometimes happen. Now, now, Wilborn, tell me, tell us about why, how this debate is is shaping the contours of the mayor race, because all the candidates, all the top candidates are basically pledging that under their leadership, Buckhead will not secede. Absolutely, Greg. So all of the candidates agree that the residents of Buckhead are right to voice their grievances. At the same time, uh, crime is not a singular issue in Buckhead, right? You know, uh, the old saying goes from uh, Binkhead to Buckhead. So point is, everyone's dealing with crime and the um, candidates will tell you, you know, crime isn't going to end if we just create a new city limit. And they say this because the money at stake is super substantial, right? Uh, The real estate and economic development consultant KB advisory group did this report in August on uh, a Buckhead de-annexation. And it found that the Atlanta Public School District would uh, lose an estimated $232 million in its district budget uh, a year. And so that's just the school district alone. I mean, if you're looking at Atlanta, the net fiscal loss is an estimated 80 million to 116 million annually. So it's a big deal if Buckhead creates its own city. So JD, you and Wilborn are going to be paneling a debate on Monday that you guys can, all our listeners can sign up for on AJC's Facebook page. And uh, they'll be all over the AJC.com website. But JD, what are you looking forward to hear from the candidates about not just crime, but about the major issues that are continuing to shape this race. Like you all have talked about on this podcast, 41% of voters in our latest poll were undecided. And I know that a lot of people who maybe haven't been fully engulfed in the mayor's race, like like we have been and maybe have a little bit of election fatigue from the last year in Atlanta, are still undecided and are really looking to differentiate among the candidates. And, uh, you know, obviously the major topic is crime, crime, crime. Um, but there's a lot of other things that that people are looking for these candidates to address. And so we're really going to be asking some some open-ended questions to really get the candidates to speak about their philosophies on leadership and where they see the city going. Um, and we're also going to touch on the important issues like crime and, and like Buckhead City and uh, infrastructure, all those types of things that that really matter to voters. Um, and so, so we're really excited. I can't wait. And Wilborn, what are you looking forward to at this debate? Because you've, you've, all, you've both had the chance to ask pepper these candidates with questions, but this will be a different forum. 
Yeah, you know, I'm trying to get these candidates to really go beyond, um, pardon my language, the boilerplate responses they get. I mean, they've done dozens of these forums already, right? So at a certain point, they kind of know what to say if they hear the topic of crime comes up. Well, look, we know that the uh, Atlanta City Detention Center costs a lot of money to taxpayers to keep it open. We know it's mostly empty and holds nonviolent offenders, mostly nonviolent offenders. We know the city initially looked to negotiate with Fulton to alleviate their jail overcrowding system. But still, we want to know where do you really stand on this? Why do you support it being open? Why do you support it closing? So we just hope to get beyond what folks have said before. We want readers and residents to hear, uh, really hear what the candidates really have to say about these issues. A lot of our questions are going to be about specific policies and plans and, and things they would do in office. So getting past kind of just the generalities. Yeah, they'll, and they'll have some chance. They'll have a chance to go into the nuances of their policy because that's the beauty of a debate and not just a you know one of those quick hit forums where it's just like that. Well, coming up, we're going to talk about the fallout from former President Donald Trump's trip to Perry. This is the Politically Georgia podcast. We journalists at the Atlanta Journal Constitution want to take a minute to thank our subscribers. Because of your support, we were able to make this podcast available to everyone. Our reporting and local journalism is because of subscriber support of our newspaper. If you are not a print or digital newspaper subscriber, join us. Go to AJC.com and sign up today. Thank you and continue to follow our reporting in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. Thanks to our boss, Leroy Chapman, for that message. And, and J.D. mentioned election fatigue. Patricia, the election, we're, we're both, we both probably have election fatigue, but the election in 2020 wasn't really still over, according to pres- former President Donald Trump. Uh, we both covered the rally at the state fairgrounds in Perry, where, look, this was the lead quote in your column this week. We never forget 2020, just in case you have any question. We're not forgetting 2020. Most corrupt election in the history of our country. Most corrupt election in the history of most countries. To be followed by an even more glorious victory in November of 2024. We're going to have a big, big, beautiful victory. And the former president is still so mad at Governor Brian Kemp that he's basically endorsing Stacey Abrams. When Stacey Abrams says, I'm not going to concede, that's okay. No problem. Oh, she's not going to concede. She's not going to concede. Of course, having her, I think, might be better than having your existing governor, if you want to know the Might Might very well be better. So, Patricia, the headaches continue for Brian Kemp. Um, this was not, uh, well, maybe the quasi-endorsement of Stacey Abrams was not, not expected, but the rest of it was no surprise. I mean, um, the, the former president has been assailing Brian Kemp for months. I mean, just from the first weeks after the general election for not calling a special session to illegally overturn the election results, for not meeting his demands to basically reverse the election outcome, something that Brian Kemp says he simply can't do. Yeah. So, Greg, I think that all of us are having a little pre-TSD, like pre-traumatic stress disorder for what's about to come, because 2020 feels like it is barely in the rearview mirror. In many ways, it never ended. And already we are hearing about 2024 out of President Donald Trump. And I wrote my column about the Perry event this week because 
it wasn't just a regular Donald Trump rally. I mean, we have been to so many of those and they're, they all feature a lot of the same characteristics and characters and people. Um, but this is, is specifically about Donald Trump handpicking a slate of candidates who tried to deny the election results in 2020. And if they're installed in the future, they will do it again. And I think that is the bargain that Donald Trump in his mind has made with these candidates that he's supporting. And there was a point where Burt Jones, who's a state senator, even said, you know, I commit to you. If I had been the lieutenant governor, we would have gotten to the bottom of this in Georgia. That's what would have happened. And so I think it, it's important for, for readers and audiences not to see it as just another round of, a, of the Trump show. This It's very different and it's going forward and Georgia will be uh, front and center of his 2024 plans. He's endorsed about 40 candidates around the nation, but three of them are in Georgia so far, um, among the highest of any state. And he's also disavowed for Georgia politicians. Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, Butch Miller, who's running for LG, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, and of course, Brian Kemp. And Kemp is trying to play this in an interesting way, right? He can't. He knows he can't attack Trump because he'll, he won't win that fight in the Republican primary. So instead, he's just kind of trying to change the subject. And he's kind of vowing his allegiance to Trump's agenda while not saying a single bad word about the former president. I think Brian Kemp is really the most fascinating politician that we have almost on the national scene right now, because we have heard again and again, why won't Republicans stand up to Trump? Why won't Republicans stop what he's doing? And Brian Kemp really has stood up to Donald Trump, but is also working to get reelected and has not been critical of the president. And so one thing that we know about Brian Kemp right now is that his fellow Republicans aren't making it easy for him. And none of the guys who were on stage with him on Saturday night, you reached out to them and I reached out to them. They did not endorse Brian Kemp, mm -hmm. who is the sitting Republican governor. To me, it is just so mind boggling and fascinating. And it really encapsulates the Republican Party today. And that includes Herschel Walker, who endorsed Brian Kemp in 2018 who is also close, of course, with Vince Dooley, who is one of Brian Kemp's biggest supporters, and who's who's a legendary Georgia Bulldog, and that's Brian Kemp's one of his – he is a diehard football fan and and lives in Athens and one of the biggest boosters for UGA. Um, I felt like the entire event – I went into it thinking, okay, you know, I'll just – whatever President Trump says, the bigger story will be Herschel Walker in a way because this is his big campaign debut. Well, the former president – completely overshadowed Herschel Walker, who spoke for the first time in a big speech, a big campaign speech, and he talked for about eight minutes. People always ask me uh, what qualifies me to run for this office. And I said, well, you're right. I'm an American. And I said, what qualify a reverend to run for this office? What qualify a farmer to run for it? What qualifies a businessman to run for it? Patricia, he said he was going to run in the outside lane. Yeah, he said he's going to run in the outside lane. He really was outside the norm of who was on stage Saturday mm -hmm. night because he was the only person on stage who did not talk about the last election. He talked about the next election. He didn't say stop the steal or it was rigged. Um, the closest he got was to telling voters, um, if you're not legal, get yourself legal so you can vote for Herschel Walker. Um, now, in the past, he has talked about stop the steal. He has tweeted about the fraudulent election in Georgia. So we're going to have to square that circle going forward. But it was a very strategic move on Herschel Walker's part 
not to join in the calls about the rigged election and not to sort of feed into Donald Trump's hunger for that line. Um, but in many ways, he is a little bit in a stronger position than Donald Trump. Herschel Walker can do whatever he wants. He's been endorsed by Trump. He's beloved by other Georgians. And we're going to watch him going forward to see how much he needs to continue to keep Trump on his side or how can he just be Herschel Walker? This is It's been such a weird campaign to cover because this is been about a month or so since Herschel Walker's gotten the race. This was his first campaign speech. He's, still, he's gone on Fox News a few times, but this was his first campaign speech. He has still yet to speak to uh, most members of the local media, including the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And not only that, but when asked where his stance is on issues ranging from broad, like abortion, to narrow, like, hey, you just posed in front of a sign that says impeach Biden. Do you support impeaching Biden? We don't get really an answer. So, and it, or, or anything at all. I mean, mostly it's a decline to comment, period. So he is trying to stake out this race without forming any sort of, or staking to any sort of policy positions on most issues, avoiding the media, and relying on his name recognition and the Trump endorsement. And look, that could get you the Republican nomination, but the general elections are going to be a different story. No, I think uh, you're exactly right. But he came into this race so strong among Republicans, already had about 75% of Republican support. Why would he do anything except be the person he started out on day one? Like, why answer a question? Why offend anybody? Why do anything other than just be what you were, sort of this right out of the box, new car smell, no need to really sully that right now? When he gets to a general election, that is a totally different story. Um, I think Georgia voters, especially in 2022, as they were in 2020, are going to demand so much more. They're going to demand that people show up for debates. They're going to need to hear answers to a lot more questions than we've heard from Walker so far. Um, but so far with this Republican electorate, it doesn't look like he's going to need to do much more than just keep on being who he is. And Wilborn, as as you know from covering City Hall and Atlanta Atlanta politics, the being tied to Donald Trump, yeah, it's great for a Republican primary still. You know, where where AJC polls show Republicans still overwhelmingly support the former president, but in a general election and with swing voters and moderates and independents, it could be some trouble. Yeah, I think it's funny because I'm sure any of these candidates. Uh, arguably would love to get some of that Trump money, be it from uh, the former president himself or the folks who funded Trump in his election. But to get a flat out endorsement from Trump would probably be uh, really uh, harmful to them. So I don't think <laughs> I would really doubt it if like former mayor Kasim Reed or council president Felicia Moore, if they were seeking Trump's uh uh, support, right? Because that would be devastating for their campaign. I mean, both of them, they both of them do appear to get some support from Republicans, according to our poll, but none, none of these folks want Trump's endorsement, right? No. Not in Atlanta. And, and JD, that's very different from the 2017 race where, where Mary Norwood ran as an independent, but she was very closely aligned with the GOP. Um, and, and that ended up helping her in some ways, right? Especially getting votes in, in, in conservative-leaning parts of Atlanta, but didn't help her when it came to being branded by the state Democratic Party, which went after her pretty hardcore as basically a Trump supporter. Right. That really defined the last portion of that race when it was her versus Keisha Lance Bottoms in that runoff. We're not seeing the same dynamics quite 
yet in this race where one candidate is like labeled as you know the quote-unquote republican candidate or the only candidate courting republican votes or the conservative votes we are seeing several candidates kind of go for that uh portion of the electorate um felicia moore has been doing pretty well in buckhead sharon gay is is looking for for republican votes as well i think we'll see kasim reed do do fairly well up there as well um but but it's not not nearly the same as it, as it was in in 2017 four years but world of a difference it's gonna be a quite the runoff well finally the ajc's newest hire jay black is here with the best thing he saw this week wednesday night's congressional baseball game i, I gotta say the unintentional comedy here was spectacular But the biggest surprise to me was that John Ossoff, of all people, can pick it at third base. There's a shot down to third. Ossoff scoops it. Long throw across the diamond, and he gets him. Wow. Great play down at third by Ossoff. Wow's the right word, Greg, because I had no idea Ossoff, like, was a baseball player. And he legitimately made the throw from third to first and got it all the way there. A terrific play there. He was also the losing pitcher. Gave up two runs in a couple of innings. Uh, So the uh, Republicans win 13-12. to There were three Georgia GOP congressmen that were on the roster, but they did not play. Barry Loudermilk said he had some knee trouble. Marjorie Taylor Greene, that was a big disappointment. She boycotts. And uh, Congressman Andrew Clyde was in the dugout, but uh, he did not play. But uh, more importantly... Enough of that. Let's get to real baseball. Greg Bluestein from the cheap seats last night as the Braves win their fourth straight National League East title. So Greg Bluestein, a man of the people, up in the upper deck in the outfield to watch the pennant clincher, the division clincher last night. Yeah, I brought my daughter after I actually had to give a little speech, and it ended at 7, and then me and my daughter bolted down there. We bought whatever tickets were still available and cheapest. And we hung out with about 40,000 of our best friends watching the Braves clinch the fourth in a row. And there's a chance I go out to Milwaukee next weekend to go wow. watch the Braves because why not? How are we feeling, J.D., Wilborn? Well, Patricia, we know how she feels, but man. I'm excited. Let's go Braves. Let's go dogs. Attaboy. Yeah, why can't I say go Braves? Go ahead. I'm, I'm <laughs> go Braves and go that. Vanderbilt Commodores, as we know. <laughs> man, what a game. 62 nothing. Yeah, that was the we'll get you next year next next decade there's a long gap between those two college football programs but i have a quick question do we know if ossoff ever played baseball before i know he played ultimate in high school at paideia which is known for their ultimate good ultimate team yeah tia mitchell played on a british team when he was at the london school of economics third base couldn't believe it It all makes sense so we'll have a complete coverage of the Braves playoff run uh, in the paper and uh, on AJC.com as well. But the Braves will uh, take on the Brewers in the division series next week. Well, thanks, guys, for joining. And we always love the, the, the sports talk at the end. I know Patricia is a huge UGA fan. That's the and next so we'll podcast get, we're working on is Inside Braves Baseball with Patricia Murphy. We'll get her uh, recap of Georgia-Arkansas coming up shortly. <laughs> It'll be as good as the nap I'm taking. <laughs> thanks, guys. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. 
a celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.